So there is a lot of options with your drawing that you have to manipulate and and orchestrate the scene in front of you and still get a sense I still get a sense that it's veritas that there's a truth to the moment. Hello and welcome to the Sneaky Art Podcast. I'm your host Nishant Jain. Today's guest is my good friend and fellow urban sketcher Donald Owen Colley. I have had the privilege of speaking to Don, learning from him and drawing along with him on many different occasions. Every time we speak, it feels like we speak about everything. We start with sketching, but our conversations can cover politics, history, travel, and various different experiences as artists in different parts of the world. This is because Donald is deeply interested in the world that he inhabits, and making art is his way of making sense of it, of communicating what he sees, of saying the different things that he means to say, but also his way of paying it tribute. His sketchbooks are a way to see life affirming other life. The first time I met Don Colley, he was wearing a waistcoat under his jacket. But it wasn't a formal occasion, it was summer and we were in the middle of the afternoon. But this was no ordinary waistcoat. He wore it as a handyman's toolkit, because crammed into its many pockets were an array of markers and brush pens. Don uses cool tones and warm tones and many different kinds of colors to bring out the many shades and colors of our world, saying things that cannot be said as simply black and white. He has traveled and lived in different parts of the world and his sketchbooks show the spirit of inquiry that he carries with him wherever he goes. I learned a lot of great things from this conversation and I hope that you will too. Good morning, Don. It's excellent to have you here, and I'm very happy to speak to you on my podcast. It's nice to be with you, Nishan. It's good good to have a little connection in these times. <laughs> yes. So, uh, Don, I've drawn with you several times, and we've drawn together in different locations in Chicago. Um, I want to start our conversation with something that makes me very curious, and that's in the way that we look at the same kind of things. So we've drawn together in cafes, we've drawn together in food halls. And often because I'm drawing with my fountain pen, I'm drawing a little bit faster than you, or I'm finishing a little bit faster than you. So I take the liberty of just peering over your shoulder, just to see what you're doing and how you go about doing your drawings. And this thing makes me really curious that you don't sometimes begin with a line or with a shape or a dot the way some people do. But sometimes you just begin with a smudge mm. and you put a smudge here, you put a smudge there. Sometimes it's with the edge of your marker. Sometimes it's with your fingers. And I'm curious what that's all about. How, how do you get started with all these sketches that you do in like densely packed places? I have a variety of different approaches first off, and it has a lot to do with my um, comfort zone, you might say. Am I drawing a lot? 
is the line there for me? Am I seeing contours very clearly? Do I get a sense of space? And uh, are things moving in front of me? Is, is the situation dynamic or is it static? Um, do I want the drawing? Am I going to elaborate on the drawing? Or do I think this is just a quick sketch and I don't have much time to do anything? So that those things sort of determine how I approach. I, I approach every drawing the same way, which is in this respect. I ask myself, what am I doing? And that that opens up once I decide what I want to, what I want to go, what I want to take with it, how much time I want to invest, what my time frame looks like. That that sets in place an editing process, and which is either work with brevity or elaborate. And if I just sometimes do a medium value or a light value smudge, I can block in basic forms. And if a person's moving, nothing is fixed. It just gets me on the page and I get basic proportions or I get basic localities. And then, then it's a what's crucial. Uh, and if somebody's face is moving a lot, then maybe I develop the body until I have a moment to catch the face. Um, so in court, for example, when I draw in court, I've got a jury. The jury is pretty static. If, if I'm drawing a lawyer, they could be up for only so much time moving. And if I'm drawing um, a prisoner that's come in and he's just there for a couple of minutes, I don't have a lot of time to set things up. So I, like you, like you, that's where I might rely on my, my contour work much more rapidly. And if getting an exact likeness isn't so crucial, then I just, I'm kind of knocking in something. It's, it's sort of like you're setting down these anchors in places for, uh, it's, it's a way to compose the scene, almost like where the big elements are going to be whenever you find the time or the right, right moment to put them in. Yeah, it, it, it is. And, you know, if you let your eyes go out of focus and just sort of see things as blurry shapes and blobs, basic shapes, it's remarkable how sometimes I get more of an accuracy of that because I'm knocking the person in relative to where the, the masses are. And then I can come back in and I can draw the, the particulars on top of that. So you're going from the general to the specific. And, and that way I know roughly where the head's going to be. I've already gotten where I can drop down to the body. And I, I've, I, things already kind of have a general place where they're supposed to be and I don't have to be so cautious actually allows me to move more rapidly once I get to that phase. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, moving back from the specific to the general again, like when people look at the amount of work you've done, like someone like me, if we were, if we were to not know you and they look at your Instagram profile or they look at your work somewhere else, they see like this vast variety of work and all this uh, these different kinds of subjects that you that you use and the different kinds of ways that you depict them, and what some one thing that often happens, and I talk about this with Paul in the in my first episode, is that we develop a very static image of what the artist is. So if I look at ten works by uh, Don Colley, I'll get an idea of this is what Don Colley draws, this is what he likes to do, and therefore this is the kind of artist he is. But what that does is it doesn't, it creates like this separate single dimensional image, which doesn't exist anywhere in reality, but just in my mind, that's my impression. 
but it doesn't really answer for how you know how you've come to your art and how it is that something that you've drawn in 1990 looks a certain way something that you've drawn 10 years later depicts a certain thing it depicts you in a way so can you tell me how did how did art come into your life have you always been drawing as a child yeah um i moved around a lot as a child about every 2 years and so until i developed friends you know i self entertained and i was fascinated with comic books and got into those pretty early and the thing about cartoons and comics is they're generalized shapes they're much more simplified i mean they're very sophisticated people who did them but they worked off of basic geometry so there was accessible to somebody who was learning how to draw and, and and couldn't do traditional classical you know rendering didn't understand didn't understand perspective didn't under, but here you could see things and you related to it and they and they had um fun shapes but also um they they had stories so i came to to drawing for a variety of reasons one was just the act of liking to draw what i saw um to make up stories my nephew did that too he would make little stories up and he would illustrate them i think as a child i did stuff like that and and i mean i even remember um uh, at times just drawing all the different uniforms i could for basketball players just to get variety of colors just a, a way as a way to play with color combinations and um i would draw army men and pieces of paper which would have a flap so i could set them up and i would make a little village of guys coming through buildings and it was almost like storefronts so uh, uh, it was a, for me it's always been a mix of things of just trying to um sort of interpret or mim- a form of copy realities if i couldn't copy those shapes to to telling stories or just trying to describe things for the first time and um and today even i still use the art for a variety of reasons but um just the enjoyment of drawing light and dark just the enjoyment of of capturing that and and I'm a pretty linear guy i had to push myself into strong tones and stuff cuz i was so satisfied with line i didn't want to cover the line up you know um but i traveled a lot and today still for job reasons and personally i i just go out and about and it's my form of diary making reportage uh my sketchbooks have grocery lists in them they also have uh arguments with friends that i think back over and then i did uh a lot of artwork and so if i was out and about and i saw something that inspired an idea i would make notes of it so the book is also about going out and just culling ideas and and um and and then it's about the act of of understanding what is it you see right so when you draw things it forces you to to kind of look at them a little harder for more prolonged and trying to understand what is that shape i see what is that and that that continues on into what are they doing uh-huh uh you mentioned the comics and i find that so interesting because uh drawing comics and wanting to draw better comics is a large part of my motivation for how i got into urban sketching 
And the part that's uh, probably very similar to the way you explain it is that every image, and this I explain this to people uh, based on my learning from the book by one of the greatest cartoonists of all time. I, I wonder if you're also a fan of his. It's Will Eisner. Oh, yeah. he's Well, they've got the Eisner Award. So there's a lot of people that are pretty taken with Will I, the spirit. Yeah, he did the spirit. Something Will Eisner talks, yeah, the spirit comics. So he has a book about understanding comics and how to, how to draw comics. Mm-hmm. And that was super profound for me because something it explained was how do we look at a frame and the relationship that different kinds of frames have to us and therefore how important is every frame in a comic and every image in a comic is such a pre- is there for such precise reasons to evoke such precise emotions and to give such precise information to us that i i feel like somebody who takes inspiration from comic books is always very precise, also looking for precision in what they're trying to show. Because like, I haven't studied art formally. So what, how I interpret what I learn is what, what's important is what I go to immediately. And that comes to me also from comics. And I feel like that's how it, it sounds very similar to how you're reasoning, uh, the, the, the choice of finding subjects, which are different in different scenes, choosing buildings, choosing people. Yeah. I, I mean, I did go to art school for four years or something like that. I studied printing and paint making and stuff and art history. Um, but long before I got there, I looked at Rembrandt. I looked at a lot of guys before I got to art school. I was fascinated with them. And Rembrandt was a, he was an urban sketcher. He drew out on about all the time. Um, so the comics you have, I mean, I'm, in many ways, I think I'm a frustrated filmmaker. Because there is such a strong narrative component in my work, and I do, but I, and I was a projectionist at a student union film program for a while, so I locked, I watched a lot of movies, and and um, but I was always like, how do I jam a story into a single image, or just five images, or six, like a page, and and where you you freeze something, but it has to, it's part of a larger story, or it leads on to things. So, and sketchbooks for me can be really disjunct. I come back and forth over years, but other times they they do have a flow and they're sort of following you through your week or your month and how you see things. And I, I let some pages be a real mess. Other pages, I'm thinking of the edge, like the way that your stories have containment. It's real important where the proscenium is. And, and, um, the comics had to do that. The comics had to guide your eye, tell the story, be compact, be about composition, be spare, right? And, and that's where the whole thing of what's relevant comes into play. And that, that's, that begins when you ask yourself, what am I doing? That's where you, you, do I need tone? Do I need shade? Is this going to be black and white? Is there something before me? Is there a, a visual phenomenon before me I want to capture or is this just like when I draw a court there's so much I can't do I don't have time so you very quickly realize and comics were great for that comics were like you know think of think of uh, Dagwood and 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 some real simple ones and little orphan Annie there's a little very little information in them and and uh, some are even like peanuts Charles Schultz's peanuts two figures might be there talking so when you're 
drawing is an urban sketcher. Um, one of the things that's happening many times, especially with the guidelines that they set for urban sketching, you they want you to do this on site, right? So it was, I studied photography with Gary Winogrand, and he would take thousands of images and then go to the dark room and look at his contact sheets to see what he liked. So his editing process oftentimes took place. He would shoot really rapidly, sometimes not even looking through the camera. So his editing process was intuitive on site, but oftentimes afterwards he had so many choices to pick from. Then he would look at them as a separate editor, right? But when we're drawing on site, we're editing in real time. And that's, the, that's where it comes down to. It's so important to ask yourself, what's primary, secondary, and superfluous? Yeah, that's a really good point. And also about the comics, because like uh, a comic has to, by default, grab attention. It doesn't have the luxury that the reader is going to give it as much time as it would like. So they really have to get down to brass tacks very quickly. And that's getting to the point. And it's also a very interesting way of form following function, which you then, you know, whenever you strip something down to its basics, but you're still trying to make art out of it, you're sort of thinking about what is the point of this? Why am I doing this? And what is it that best does the job of saying that while maybe taking only a few seconds or maybe 50% of the engagement from the part of my viewer? Well, you know, I mean, you have a time constraint on you. And you have, you also have, um, you're trying to draw the viewer's eye sometimes. Other times, I mean, there's times when I have text. So comics oftentimes have, many times they would have text. Um, Art, Art Spiegelman uses the term comix because he's comix, not just comics, but with an X instead of a C, he's comix. He's comixing text and imagery. And comic books do that. And, and there's, kind of the benefit that you maybe you don't need to reveal everything with the imagery because the text is going to bring something to it you don't have to the, the, you're not necessarily illustrating the text with the imagery what you're doing is that they're working together to fill the story out so the imagery is doing some of the work the text is doing some of the work and and so there are times when i've i do that i i bring text in to give somebody context you know, they see they see an image, they don't know what it means, but once I write a little bit of information, they realize they're looking at a crime scene. So I came upon a stabbing uh, in St. Paul about midnight one night. And it, it had already taken place, a fight had taken place, a guy had fallen, the police came, they, they just were driving off with the, the victim. And you're there just drawing, you know, a, a transit stop with some cops standing around. So a little, a little context sort of gives them an idea of where you are, what you're about. And I have a drawing of a friend's uh, Jeep and it's under wraps. And it's a, just a beautiful object, right? But the guy who owns the, the, the Jeep is a friend of mine, so it's at his beach house. And the, it's, the name of the Jeep is Bob's Babe Magnet. So with this, you also get that image also talks about some guy's vanity or his his youth or his imagination of his his joke about being virile and you know the, the joke on if if you have a jeep it's clearly got some kind of cultural cachet or some sexual cachet to it. so so you know i mean the my sketchbooks and 
my imagery and when I go out and and draw and an urban sketching and description or environment, sometimes a little text complements the the visuals, and so I, I do that because it might the situation be maybe just so complex that you know because I've I've drawn arrest people being arrested and and uh, police tackling a guy and uh, you're trying to just get some people wrestling but then you give a text of what else you witnessed so i do i do like the and th that's kind of pulling the whole storytelling aspect of comic books into visual journaling yeah yeah um I, i'm curious to know like with a lot of interest in comics and like so many people who draw comics they they learn to draw better from you know, they have to work on their art and they want to draw better and better things and they choose a variety of sources. But I don't think like very many people are pulled towards drawing from observation. So I'm curious to know how did drawing from observation occur to you as the way you wanted to go forward? I was a naturalist, man. I was a realist all the way along the line. I just, and the comic book guys, I certainly liked, uh, I certainly like Popeye. That's pretty simple stuff. And I liked um, the uh, so if you look at Popeye and you look at Dagwood, they had an iconic figure. It was pretty simply constructed. Oh, Mickey Mouse, that's another one. It's basically very simply constructed. But if you saw Prince Valiant or you saw Terry and the Pirates uh, with either of the two guys that did that, George Wonder, I specifically liked, it was clear they knew how to compose out of their head. And through anatomy studies are just observation of people so that's when you know part of what gives you over the course of time better understanding of the your subject and and i so i i liked naturalism and realism but i also liked you know uh, outrageous shapes and i like um taking liberties my whole thing why i never, never really was talked into doing graphic novels or comic books. I did one page of comic books. I think I have about 10 images on the page. It was the idea that in animation that you would have to draw this figure from every angle thousands of times. And and uh, if you look at my work, I have, I have um, borrowed and appropriated and quoted so many different styles, you know, into, into my work from uh, Degas, and Michelangelo to George Harriman and a lot of people. And there's just times when I want to change gears in the middle of an image. I want to, I start letting something open up and um, I kind of want that freedom to not be locked into something over and over and over again, which is, you know, well, I was asked to do a comic book. Somebody had the idea and there's a guy who'd already done the pencils. I was going to come in and ink the thing up and 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 i backed away from it <laughs> just because i i think of drawing especially when you're drawing on site as like free jazz improvisational and if you need to kind of blare something it you come out in force um and there's a real well-known drawing by rembrandt of uh, and it's Sasha, but it's, she's, his wife is catnapping. She's sleeping. And he starts out, she's kind of leaning like this. And around the face, the lines are more precise. There's clearer. And then as he moves around the body and the clothing, he switches to a brush. 
and it gets looser and looser. And if you put your hand over this part of the body, it's Brown's Klein. It completely goes almost abstract. And I've always adored that liberty. So, so in my books, there's some kind of consistency and uh, things I go to over and over and over again. But uh, if the drawing isn't giving me any juice, <laughs> uh, then I might, I might ask myself to be a little bolder. So, so, you know, I mean, I, I really do want my craft is also an acknowledgement of my, um, my influences, my ancestors, the, the whole people that got me to where I am by looking at them. And, and especially that it's in a sketchbook that I, I kind of reserve that freedom of experimentation. Mm hmm what what do you enjoy about uh, then say going out somewhere and you've got your sketchbook and you've got this complete like it's something i also completely understand like this feeling that the sketchbook is my space to do whatever i want inside with but when you go out to a cafe say for example and you're in a crowded cafe of course this is before covid uh what like what what is it that inspires you about just everyday life that you want to draw well um, I mean, I've always been very figurative. There was a period of time in my life, many, many, many years, I wouldn't, I didn't draw trees, I didn't draw landscapes, I didn't draw. It was always interiors and people, and um, I like watching people. Like, who doesn't you know, like watching people, right? And the, uh, but what's the activity that draws me to a lot of what's going on? It's not just anymore, just copying shapes or getting a likeness. It's also what, what's taking place before me. So, for example, a guy that I liked a lot, the, the Impressionist, Paris was changing at that time. Right? It was going through big changes in the 19th century, and the boulevards came in, and they were, in many respects, they, they relishing being out there. They had cafe scenes and cabaret scenes, and, and Lettrec shows the side of, you know, intimacy and prostitution. The God would show people drinking in cafes. There was the issues of alienation, modernization. So, what am I documenting about my epic, my period of time? So I don't just okay. There's a guy sitting on a chair. It's not just can I make a convincing that this guy is there's gravity and he's sitting on a chair. Um, it's what 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 can I can I get some sense of um, engagement intellectually activity can you tell does he seem to be focused does he sleep is it you know it, it's it's this thing with a very little time and with just an image what kind of information can you get about that place that time and and living in us chicago and living in america at this time which is a extremely um well endowed society in many respects those gifts don't trickle down to everybody the same way so one of the things if you go out there and you're in an urban environment you're definitely going to draw not just the variety and of, of architecture and disparity you're going to you're going to draw the, the variety of people's experiences and that's that's a strong that's a strong narrative for me and again going back to the comment that a, a frustrated filmmaker you know i want to uh, i want to capture what 
what essentially makes an urban environment. I mean, I was in Spring, Springfield for the last three days. And at night, when I tell you there's no one on the street, I mean to tell you that from our apartment building, from the, from the hotel, when we looked down, over the course of 30 minutes, you could see one person. Right? And then uh, I've seen photographs of New York that friends took after COVID really hit with these big boulevards. So there's a lot of urban sketching where they go out and they capture that kind of things. And the figures are just these things that are going around, right? They're just kind of like a scale reference. But I want to get a sense of what we did at this time, who we were. And, and that means clothing, how diverse the population is. Um, is there a sense of interaction? Are people contained in themselves? So the whole thing of wearing headsets and books you know, uh, is sometimes people creating their own environment. They want to create their soundtrack. They don't want to listen to the soundtrack playing over here. They, they, they are sealing themselves off in the midst of a, of a heavily populated situation. And, and that's why I don't wear headphones when I'm drawing. I actually am trying to be immersed in, in the time and get cues, any kind of cue I can take. Uh, because the work I did is for so many years as, a, as an artist making paintings and prints was about societies either collaborating or in conflict. And, and we have both on full view right now. So, so for me, when I go out, uh, um, I'm just, is something going to happen? And, and I can catch it. So I've seen crime happen and I stop and I draw. I've seen people on the street who are homeless that were painting and trying to sell paintings, trying to make a living there. And uh, to me, that's uh, as important to, that you see clearly those kind of things as it is how I can port out to see perspective. Yeah. So it's it's very interesting you say that because uh, I feel like I've articulated those kind of thoughts in my own words too. Um, like when I submitted my workshop proposal for the USK seminar in Chicago last year, one of the things I said in it, and I think it's also in my workshop description now, is that uh, an urban environment without people in it is like a dystopian environment. And it's post, it, it looks post-apocalyptic. It does. Because the whole, the whole purpose of the urban environment is that it exists to service humanity. It doesn't exist in nature. It doesn't need to exist. It's only there for our use. It's a consequence of our needs. And we, we need to do this. We need to get from A to B. We need to eat food. We need coffee to re-energize us when we go back to work. So this is why we have so-and-so services. And if you show a cafe, but you don't have a person in it drinking coffee, that's not a cafe. That's just an interior space. You could be at a design center. <laughs> this is somebody's idea of what a cafe could look like. Exactly right. It it only becomes a cafe when there is someone drinking coffee inside that cafe. Yeah. And, and you know, it's... When you're looking at things too, when you don't maybe have all of the uh, actors present, can you still tell something about the place? So for example, uh, it's kind of a stretch here, but Da Vinci does the very famous Vitruvian man. He's there in the circle and shows him. And, and Vitruvius was a Roman engineer architect. And what he says is that the human being is the single most important unit of measurement in the classical order. 
So as you look around, you see counter heights tell you how tall we are, right? All of the things to, we do, it is designed for human beings. And so when you remove that crucial part to this whole design, I'm with you. There's something, uh, I don't want to say lacking or missing, but there is something, there's part of the narrative that you're just completely left to guesswork. Is it an affluent society? Is it a society in decay? Is it a, is, is a society of uniformity? Is, are the people, I lived in Turkey as a, a child in 1960, uh, 1968. And um, coming from California, you know, which is probably one of the most modern parts of the world at that time, I went to a society which different than it is now. It's changed a lot. But there was fewer colors. There was a certain interaction between the people. There were things that it did. Um, and it was jarring for me. It was jarring. And so when I move around, the human element of an urban environment is so informative. It's so informative. And, and one of the things when I go out to draw people is, is it through empathy or what you know or, or what you can imagine as to, to, to find out what's going on? And so I see people when they're wearing clothes, do the clothes tell you what their tribe is? Are they goth? Are they punk? Are they a businessman? And I find that search compelling for an artist to go out and, and to, if it's there and it's not in your drawings, it's by, an, it's, it's by, by purposeful exclusion. Why? So that's the thing about when you say, what am I doing when I'm drawing? I am capturing this building in the light and everything else is brushed aside. So for me, when I go out there, sometimes the buildings are very important. Other times the building is just where it takes place. But what's going on there is so much more compelling to me. And I know that a lot of architects <laughs> might think, right, well, you know, the buildings are, tell us who we are as well. And without doubt, they do, you know. But I've seen drawings. I have no idea what century I'm in. I have no idea what time it is, no idea what the weather is. And so when I go out to draw, I do want to come back and think, what did I, what did I gain? What did I capture from the, the day's outing and the drawing? When, I, when you put pen to paper, what would mm -hmm. you bring back, right? That, that's a really good point. You know, I had that same kind of experience, uh, like you relate about Turkey, for example. Uh, when I moved to, I moved to the middle of Wisconsin and we were in this small town and I had never lived in a world like that before. I grew up in a very big and very dense city in India and I've moved around since then. I've lived in Western Europe for a few years. I came to Chicago and then suddenly I was in Wisconsin and I used urban sketching and drawing uh, not and maybe not consciously, maybe half semi-consciously, as a way to try to understand this foreign world that I was in, and I'm I wanted I went to the cafes because I wanted to see how do these people drink their coffee. These people that I'm now living next to, but I have no concept of them. I don't know what they're like. So wh where where do they hang out in summer? What do they do in winter? Where do they have their beers? What do they order? Do they sit around and talk? Do they have some kind of food to go with it? So all of these questions that kind of yeah. like build your world and they're answered through being an urban sketcher in the sense that, like you said, that you, you really sit 
with your subject for a while and you may not speak, but you're spending this time with them. And that's letting you think about how things, how, how things are appearing before you. And you wait for this moment of what I describe in my book as like a moment of accidental art. Like the subjects don't really know it, but from where you're sitting and what you're looking at in that there's these brief moments come in and you're sort of preparing it in your page, you know, when you draw all the ancillary elements and you know the, where the real subject is going to come, but you don't know what that subject is. And you're just oh, yeah. waiting for that moment to happen. It's, it's, it's very exciting. You know, you, you can't know what the day holds for you. Uh, and when you're going to go out and draw, um, that's for a long time. I've always had, I've had my sketchbook on me. I would say, I would say 1976. I walked out the door with sketchbooks. I switched majors from science to art after about three years of college and, and uh, was drawing all the time, of course, and having to come up with ideas for paintings. You're so you like, whenever, whenever you've got a pad there, you can write ideas down. I don't have a, great memory never have had great memory it's very spotty and selective and 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 good ideas will pop in my head and they will just vacate so if i had good ideas i would write them down you know and if i saw something uh, i'd write i'd make a note for a long time i've i've been out with the sketchbook to record things that happened or notions or conversations or something crazy and it uh, it functions in so many ways as as I said as like a as a it's my form of taking a camera with me and a, a diary um, and to also let your imagination because sometimes I go out and I see stains on the floor if I'm sitting in a cafe and the stain looks like an elephant riding a bicycle and I draw but my imagination is telling me so so having all of that. Um, at play, I, I definitely don't know what's going to happen in the day. And that is very, very exciting. So now when you go out, you know, one of the things is everybody's masked up. And that's what you're recording. You're recording fewer people on the bus, people sitting farther apart. You're recording, you're recording how the society is contending. But you were always recording something about what the society was doing if you were just alert. You know, I'm also not, I'm not the most observant guy. My girlfriend's far more observant than I am. So one of the great things for me that drawing has done, it has taken a guy who has a fleeting uh, attention span and is very tangential, and it gets me to focus. I mean, that's a major word, focus and, and awareness. And it, it, it slows me down. It gets me to capture things that, that uh, are in front of me without me having really paid them much attention. And it, it, it gets me to think about something while I'm drawing it. So I, 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 there's lots of people who are struggling in Chicago, as you well know. And uh, when you're on the train, you have a lot of indigent people, uh, people clearly look as if they're homeless, right? And... So when you draw these, you know, there's a lot of people who might say, okay, is this exploitative? What is the purpose of drawing this? But to me, it's another, as you would draw a cop working, that's one aspect of the force, the, the human population. You have other ones that are going through some other trial. And to not 
describe that is almost a willful admission. And then you would have to ask answer to that is like, why? Why would you deselect? So I, I do the variety of things. And I remember this one gentleman got on pretty uh, unkempt and had a bag, plastic bag with a lot of stuff stuffed in it. Shoes were really a mess. He had several layers of clothes on. And uh, and it's, I got him sitting next to people. Uh, sometimes, you know, there's literally somebody smells and people vacate. But the but the trains were fairly crowded, and so people were around and guy. But everybody was in their low world, nobody making contact. And I drew him, and he's got one image of him taking a swig out of a big bottle of pop. And then the next one, he just kind of sat there, and he just kind of looked. He was just sitting there kind of gazing. And I got that, these two heads of him with the people behind him sitting there. And that's a when you when you see this kind of thing, it's hard not to to go through questions in your mind about everything from is the society functioning at peak level? Is there nothing we could have done in this one case? How would I relate? How would I fare in those situations? Because I see somebody sitting there like this, whether they're reading a book, I still imagine I the brain at work and so this and some of the imagery i don't know that i can tell somebody else what to think but there's a there's an image which to me is loaded with the challenge of uh, empathetic questioning understanding right and if i was a not just an urban sketcher but if it's an urban planner that was something you th would hope they would think. What, how does a society and an urban thing accommodate people who are in that situation? So to me, the, the books do push me, the practice and the books do push me to engage and to, to see things and to push what I might presume or understand or know and, and keep, it's a, it's a questioning practice and I even talk about the whole act of drawing that uh, you know it's, I love the manual quality of the craft and when you put a pen in your hand it becomes an extension of your hand so when you're drawing like it's a smudge I begin sometimes you do draw you're touching page that's it that's inquiry that's a that's what you're doing it's not just a decorative thing or a statement but many times it's it's inquiry and and there are times when you draw and this just really sense that you got it it's there on the page and there's other times when you have something enigmatic on there uh and i had a friend who died uh some years ago a very dear friend who was an artist and his fortunes just went down the tube and he got lost his dog he stopped having an apartment and a studio and just rented a studio and lived in his studio and then he couldn't hold jobs down. His substance abuse went up and he was kicked out of the studio. And he started going from friend's house to friend's house and staying. Everybody was trying to put him up. And then they was told that he was sleeping on the streets. Well, he eventually, he eventually, his life got to him and he died. And, and I went looking for him uh, the week that he died. 
I heard that he was on the street, so I went looking for trying to talk him into going into counseling, rehab, something, something. I couldn't find him. It turned out while I was there looking for him, he had already passed away. But I started having to look at an urban environment in a very distinct way, which is how hostile is it? Where do you sleep? Because it was wintertime. Where can you be safe? So when I was traveling in L.A., there were lots of homeless. And now there's homeless populations all over the place. So you see a park differently. You see a tree differently. Uh, so I started seeing things as shelter. And I would find that, in fact, they were. And my drawings, I did drawings of uh, air ducts over parking garages, and I looked in there, and there was bedding so they could be out of the, out of the weather. So again, urban sketching to me is, is, is also a, because I was in the sciences for three years. And it's about going out and trying to kind of understand your environment without presuming you know everything about it. We've lived in cities for how long, right? But all you have to do is come from your city with your country to another country and immediately your bearings are off, right? And and any given day, I can go out in a city I've lived in for 20 years and I can be shocked or surprised or confused. And so the drawing is part of the way in which I think about uh, my my place in the world and my culture, my time here. It's, it's very interesting to me the way that you, like the concept of the sketchbook, the way that you use a sketchbook. Uh, because I know people who, and I was once in this place myself when I wasn't so confident with how I drew, I would think of each paper as this revered paper that I was going to spoil by making a bad drawing, you know. But now I don't, I don't feel that way anymore. But then I look at the way you use your sketchbooks. You, uh, you have so many sketchbooks that you use, which have been finished long ago, or you have a few pages left in them from many years ago, and you're using and reusing those. Sometimes you go back to old pages on which you already have drawings and you do drawings on top of them. Yeah. So can you explain to me, like, how do you, like, what is your concept of the sketchbook? Because it feels so different from anyone else's. Well, there are pages when uh, that page is about that moment in time. It's about that 20 minutes. If I'm drawing life drawing, uh, I, I get a drawing where the figure, the composition happens, and in 20 minutes, that's what I was able to see and record in 20 minutes. I don't, I, I don't want to touch it if, it if I really like the way it came out. If other ones are a real uh, awful mess. It's fair game to go back and play with them, but because uh, I do think in terms of composition as well, noise, and if a, a page is really hideous, I'll just keep trying to push it uh, as as more of an you know, art, right? Is the imagery dynamic? Is the concept good? Is the page, is this, there's a room for revisions. Can I learn something by playing on it again? Um, but there are scenes which are, there are pages which are of that moment and that time that I've allowed myself to sit there and observe something. And and many of those I don't want to disturb, uh, but I'm not hard and fast in that rule, right? Uh, some pages, some sketchbooks are just really free flowing. Like I think I said earlier, it's like free jazz or whatever. And there's no reason there's no reason why I can't come back into some of them and just keep like a 16 track 
board of music. We, ah, we need another guitarist. Let's bring somebody else in here and add to this. Uh, I'll, I'll do that. So they, they serve a lot of, they serve a lot of purposes. And, um, there's some moments where I feel I'm a different person an hour later. I have a different, I have a different idea. I see I'm now acting as a, I'm acting as an art director where the artist went out and did his job and now I'm stepping on his work. So I go back and forth on that, but I have a lot of pages. I have a lot of pages was like, no, that's it. You're done. And I prevent myself from going back onto the page. Uh, again, it's, it, it, it comes back to that question I asked is what am I doing? And if that's the understanding, when I do this drawing, you got one hour. Let me see what you can do in one hour. I kind of like that the flaws are there. I like that. I tell you who I was at that moment in time. That's, yeah. that's that drawing's job. Right. Yeah. Because it's, a, it's, it's not only a drawing of what's in front of you, but it's also about you. And every time we draw on paper, we're also showing, like you said, like if we can show an urban environment without showing the kind of people around a building, for example, that's also reflecting on our choices and reflecting on what what we choose to hide is also a reflection, not simply what we yeah. choose to show. Uh, so I, I meant to ask you, um, you know, dis de describing a typical sketch, what, what is a typical sketch for you? Like, what kind of times do you set yourself? Do you do you go out for, do you draw multiple pages in a day? Do you usually just think of one page at one sitting? And uh, what kind of art supplies would you be likely to take when you go out to draw? Well, uh, there's the there's the on the way to work if I have to go do a job. You know, waiting tables, bartending, carpentry. On the way to work, I got some time to draw. Right, I'm just going to capture what I can, and maybe it's a page I've already worked on. I got a little space, so sometimes I've, I've got just head studies. So you know, you do one, two, three heads. You still got plenty of paper. So next time you have you need a space for a head, I fill that in. And so I might, and, and, and on pages, I'll number the heads so you can tell which one was done first because they come in in this their crazy way. Other uh, times, uh, I've had days where I took a train up to Fargo and uh, got on Union Station and took a train up there, which was, you know, that was like 11... Uh, I don't know, 11, 12 hours on the train. I had, tw I got 20 drawings done in that time. And, and it was a people who were sitting talking. It was ideas in my head. It was things I saw going by. It, it was uh, observational. It was also imaginative. You know, a lot of stuff got done on those 20 pages in that, in that day. And um, it's because there's a, there's some spontaneity involved in how I, approach a page if if i'm going to a coffee shop i go to all the time i'm looking for somebody interesting i'm looking for an angle and i'm dependent upon how things are going to array there but pretty much no i'm going to go capture people a coffee a coffee machine uh i go to this this uh, talk which was of black lives matter and there were cameras there so i wanted to record people recording the discussion. I wanted to have an audience. I wanted to have a speaker, and I wanted to have press there. So I like the idea that I'm observing, observers observing. You know, so that's maybe something that pushes the drawing. 
Um, and if I'm going out for the day and I have to work, I'm going to carry a few things, maybe one book, uh, something that's going to give me a strong line, uh, some amount of something that gives me some amount of ability of some detail, like maybe a fat line, a thin line, and then a brush nibs that are bigger and can cover better. Maybe it's going mm -hmm. to be all grayscale, so I'm not sitting here switching mm -hmm. out into the covers. Um, if I'm going someplace like the Chicago Botanic Gardens, and I just know yeah. it's a beautiful day, then I'm going to bring a load of color with me. And if I'm yeah. traveling across the country, I usually have a lot of stuff. Of a uh -huh. lot of stuff that, that gives me more options. If I go to court, courts want color imagery. They don't just want black and white drawings. So you have to come with something that captures it. And one day I came with a box of pens and a zip bag full of pens and a vest full mm -hmm. of pens. And I had the black and gray stuff on my vest. I had the flesh tones in my hat and I had, so I had, <laughs> it was pretty crazy, big array of stuff. Yeah. And fortunately I did because isn't this guy with this beautiful orange hair and a peacock color shirt set in front of me. And I got him because I had the colors, right? <laughs> And there's a there's there's days when I go out and the the tool I want I I didn't bring, so um, I usually have I usually have about eight minimal minimal is about five six six to six to eight or nine things which is a fountain pen uh, some grays light grays something big because uh, again to the issue of drawing rapidly that if I've got a big brush, it covers. So drawing efficiently is more of an important concept. So having having a couple of different nib sizes and shapes means when it comes to doing a big roof, just get it done quickly. If, then if I need brickwork, I do something sharp. I use my fingers if they get inky, and that gives me some textures. And that all tends to make the drawing rich and pushes how quickly I can describe something. So. You know, sometimes it's just a small satchel. Other times, other times, um, if I'm going to go draw, and it's a urban environment, and I realize there's not going to be a lot of white, then I start on tone paper, and that's already got my two values already taken care of, and then I have a couple of things to just put highlights. So I do think strategically at times of what what's going to accomplish the job. How did you how did you come to start using dry markers? Was was that always your first way of like your favored way of approaching color, or did you try some other media for a while as well? Well, uh, back in college, pencil was just going to smudge in a sketchbook. I mean, it's a beautiful tool. I love pencil. I love the all the different things you can do with it. There's watercolor pencils. I, I, graphite's a beautiful medium. I like it, but it, it does have the problem occasionally will transfer page to page. And then I was drawing with uh, some, I mean, I was a ballpoint guy for, since I was about, I mean, like in my sophomore year in college in my sketchbooks of junior year, I switched, I was just drawing an ink ballpoint. I, I love ballpoint. I was drawing on line paper. So it's just what you, you, what you used when you were a student, right? I thin flat paper and ballpoints. And, but coloring and covering and filling in was just so time onerous that I eventually started moving towards brush nibs. Also because they gave me a fat line and as a printmaker, I was influenced by woodcuts, which have nice, big, meaty 
like you think of Dewar or you think of some other people, that, that line was strong. And with a ballpoint, you're drawing like this to make one line. So to get something and knock it in, bang, bang, bang. And, um, and so I started using this, but some of the stuff I used was not waterproof. You spill a drink and you're drawing, get up and float away. So I started trying to find stuff that was waterproof, and, but I could still smudge it or layer it. And um, I just kept playing with different stuff. And I would use, I would use it, I would give anything I could find, I would give it a chance. You know, if it gave me a line that I liked, I, I liked wet, big, juicy ballpoints. So if I was in a bank lobby and I was signing, I was using one of their pens and I was signing a check and that line was just beautiful. Would go, it would walk out the door with me, you know. That's how we all get our found uh, our ball pens, yeah. right? We swipe them from yeah. someone else. <laughs> so I just and and you know, I mean, I use my hand. So having a big brush nib just means you know you go and you dab the page, and uh, you know, I, I I used grease pencils. I use a lot of stuff. It's all gonna some of them pick up the texture of the paper better than other ones. Since I use I use watercolor, I use hot press cold press and i switch books out a lot because sometimes I, I need a different effect i want to see it behave differently and um if i'm getting like you talked about paper being too precious that was the nice thing about ledger books especially if they'd already had people writing in them it's already a mess so it's easy to kind of just relax and get in there it's a good way to it's a good way to get the load off and you think that this paper doesn't really matter like uh, I told people in my workshop last year that for these next three hours, these were three hour long workshops, that for the next three hours, you're only going to make really bad drawings. And I want you to really accept that fact just so you set yourself free and you don't yeah. think about how your drawing is going. The whole point is to draw badly and just the various ways basically to free your mind from this burden, right? Sure. I mean, what, I've been drawn for how many decades? A long time. And there's days when, when uh, you know, I'm wooden and frozen and stiff and, and, and you're not in the zone and you're self-conscious. And anything you can do that can get yourself out of that hypercritical self-conscious realm and just be playful is, is very helpful sometimes. And uh, I remember guys telling me, said, you know, you could sell those drawings if they weren't on that line paper, but like, but the line paper gave me so many attributes, right? It took ink differently. It, the, the pins glided across it there. And, you know, actually some people actually bought them and they liked them. So I, I just tried to, to expand the palette, you know? It's this curious quality that if you draw in a sketchbook, like it's it's such a common sentiment to think that it's less valuable than say art on some kind of canvas on on the wall. But like there's this uh, quality of it being in the moment, like how you also describe you're drawing not only what you see, but you're also describing how you are as a person on that day in that moment with those thoughts at which are running through your head at that time. So. It's this compelling quality that sketches have. And I've sold a lot of my art in this way that people seem to want the print of a drawing which has the crease of the sketchbook on it. And they don't want me to raise that crease. Mm. Well, you, 
you know, the, you get to see the mind at work. You get to see uh, revision. Now, you can have finished art that certainly shows that kind of stuff, Larry Rivers or somebody like that. But, but when you look at a sketchbook that's not intended to be a final image, you just, it's exploratory. And you're you're watching an animal run back and forth across the field, trying to remember where it hid the hid the food source, or it's something caught its attention. So it's improvisational, and and it's and you can see that somebody is like pentimenti, the concept of changing minds and repent, or five minds, or whatever. You can see a mind mulling something over, turning something before it, and that is always been exciting to me always been exciting to me and and you you know it's the same way with somebody's touch if you can see somebody that touches the page a certain way or you can feel hesitancy i mean david hockney drew for so many years with a lapidograph which is produces a monofilament of a line it doesn't vary and it's so precise that if you hesitate and then you pick up again, you, you're going to notice that little bump in the line, right? And some things as you move with them, it seems to be very forgiving and seems much more flowing again. But that little guy, if you change your mind or you hesitate, it's, it's it has a strange kind of character about it that looks like an encephalograph or something that monitors earthquakes. In other words, I feel, it felt to me like you can see him breathe. You can see him his heartbeat or a pause or anything like that. And, and, and uh, th there are times when the materials help describe who you are and the state you're in and, and how you're feeling. And if there's a flow to the drawing or there's a hesitancy to the drawing. And that's what's so nice in sketchbooks, that the sketchbooks can be very revealing of, of, uh, of the the mindset or the of the forcefulness of the artists at that time, their personality. And I just absolutely adore that, you know? I mean, I like that that touch is it's it's vigorous or it's hesitant. And there's a lot, lot, lot of of what's going on that you're able to sit in on when somebody's doing that. And um, that's a that's where a sketch a sketchbook becomes uh, a document and it becomes a document about process and, and thought process and for, for me that if I had questions about artists and you'd see a finished painting it's like let me see the sketchbooks that's that's a good point it's almost like it in in a way then if you're covering an event or you're at a location like say a courtroom for example a sketchbook in and a sketch is offering you so much more information than say a simple photograph. And I often think of the way we consume media these days in the terms of how much information we're giving out. And I think that, you know, with phone and everybody having being online all the time, we have this tremendous access to images, like uh, camera images and videos. So irrespective of whether you're a discerning viewer or whether you're just a normal person, you quickly get overwhelmed by by this kind of photography. And in that time, I'm, I'm thinking about the kind of information that photography dumps on a person, that every time you see a photograph, you're assaulted with all this information that's, ha uh, that's contained in this photograph. And in that 
situation. A sketch, on the other hand, gives you a very precise amount of information. Like we were talking about just with the framing itself, you're controlling the information just by the amount of detail you give to something and then you withhold detail from something else. You are, you are, you are making a decision and making that image simpler for a viewer to understand. Yes, and you're, you're also showing them what you picked up on. Um, for example, because it, again, because it takes place over a period of time, if somebody's in the way, you can stretch the court, you can move somebody, you can, you can adjust the room, you know, what you draw. And I remember a court case I was listening to, and it was a, a family of Af African-American family, and he was a police officer. And she was an educator. It was a very successful family, two kids. And the young, the young boys, three and five at the time, were high-achieving kids. They were very happy, right? And his job was to go into the community and act like a drug dealer he, and find his way up the chain and get an idea of what the drug organization was. He was undercover. And he'd been a cop for a bunch of years. He'd been an MP. So he's very capable. And he was, somebody told the police department that this guy was a drug dealer and he was this and he was that. So the tactical unit didn't vet him out properly and didn't realize he was a, it was a big police department. So they broke into the house one night, traumatized the whole family shook the neighbors up. The neighbors didn't know what to make of this, damaged the house, and they took a bunch of years in getting it to court, like about four or five years to get to court. And so I was there covering this case. So it was cop versus cop, right? And one of the things I noticed was these two young boys in the family. When I came in, the younger one was just kind of doodling and getting sleepy and bored, you know, in the proceedings. But the other one was now 13 was about 13, old enough to know what's going on, old enough to follow the conversation. And so at one point, they said, and I'm drawing, I'm trying to figure out, you know, you're trying to get, what's the story I'm drawing? So I'm sitting there and I'm listening to this. And they said that the boys had been getting A grades and good students and all of this, well-adjusted. After that, they were sleeping with their parents. They acted out all the time, their grades went in the toilet, and they were bedwetters. And I'm thinking this 13-year-old kid is having to have this part of his life talked about in front of a bunch of people. And and he was sitting in front of me, and then the, the table with his family, his mom and his dad, and the lawyers was there, the judge was there, and the jury was over here. And I drew that scene with this young kid who was having to sit there by himself and, and, and hear and hold it together and hear this kind of stuff. And so that, that moment and trying to draw this kind of thing, which pulled so much out of me about how would I feel that empathy and describe the moment, maybe a little text to, to do that, how you frame the image up. There were so many factors that were weighing on me to catch that moment and to describe what I experienced and how I felt about that. Um, that uh, 
that was very challenging. That was that was that was a thing that was which tapped into so many things which we do when we go out and we draw that day. You know, you getting this information and the information just becomes more and more compelling. And how quickly can you be on top of this situation as it's developing? Uh, and and I think that was the moment to turn the case because the lawyer for the other side is now my friend and my lawyer. And and they lost. The family won the decision and they got a lot of money. And because uh, I said they, they, they were fighting, they used to be a happy couple. They were fighting. It was all kinds of problems. So the, the jury gave them the decision and they won. And in it, I had drawings of the, I sent you, was a, the lawyer's got his hands on the guy's shoulders like, this is my son, this is a good guy, right? And you could see all of these ways that his body language was trying to communicate to the jury. And then as I watched the jury, when they talked about that child, the jury froze. <laughs> you can, see, you can see, There's moments when you can see in court, there's body language that they all start to, they laugh or else they tighten up. And, and that was, I was trying to capture that and impart something of that to the, whoever looked at the drawings, you know, I mean, that's, that's so much of what I've tried to do with the, with the craft is to come out there and, and, and increase what I might read of a situation what I might be able to garner from it and then the, the the challenge of the craft is how much of that is now can you impart yeah and the the kind of time that you're spending there and then you're absorbing these moments that happen and you catch the reactions of different people to it who are going to be in your scene in various ways it's almost like like the drawing at the end is not a drawing of a moment it's a very complex uh, environment with a lot of events happening over the course of the time that you're drawing it and even before, but all of it is encapsulated inside a single image. And working on that image for that time, it kind of lets you absorb the various influences as they happen. And then you give them space accordingly. And then, you know, the, the drawing in, in that sense, it's so much more superior to a single photograph because a single photograph just captures that literally that millisecond in which it was taken. Yeah, because as I'm drawing them, he was sitting by himself, and I and I was trying, I was trying to capture as on you know the book as much as you can. It's very hard because the courtroom goes like this. It's, it's the courtroom is panoramic. So as Paul Heaston tries to get a room onto a page, how much of a how much of a narrative scene can you get where maybe you have to move things so you can see them? Because if you're sitting, be if you're if that's a situation when you when you're in a urban sketching and you're seated in a seat, your position's fixed. So now what do you do? And just as, just as Paul uses a, an umbrella perspective, which is different than two point or three point perspective, there's different ways that you bring the viewer into the situation and, and enhance the information that they have and, and give them something that's telling. And that's what I was, as I was, setting the drawing up, the narrative was going on. I was listening to the case and it was, became clear where I had to take the drawing. See, if I just I'm pop, 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 maybe I'm, people are in the way, right? I can't ask them to move out of the way so the camera can catch that. So there is a lot of options when you're drawing that you have to manipulate. 
and and orchestrate the scene in front of you and still get a sense I still get a sense that it's veritas that there's a truth to the moment yeah like i i just mentioned that uh, drawing in a way strips away information that a photograph kind of overwhelms you with but i should maybe it's more correct to think that it even adds a layer of information that a photograph is incapable of adding just by these kind of creative decisions you're talking about they're they're different i'm a guy that does definitely look at a lot of photography and likes it and tries to learn something about photography and I I like single image. I like the power of single image. It's very easy to walk away with a single image, you know, and and have that sustain be very very strong. It's, it's, it's all right there, and 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 it's sometimes there's some images that are so powerful that even a brief exposure to them has, has got immense sustain. Um, so. I, you know, I like both of them, but the nice thing about the sketchbook, especially if you're drawing this in court, I try to get six drawings a day, six to seven drawings a day. That helps the narrative if you've got several pages. But when, you, when you've when got one page, to be able to orchestrate and manipulate and edit is, is in, invaluable at times. I mean, it really, you have to have it. You know, I mean... There's so many things about drawing, first off, for most of us, it's binocular vision. So stuff is shifting around. So if it's, it's, you know, if it's already doing that, why not just go ahead and push it even further, uh, which you see. And, you know, when I've been on for demonstrations and they're walking, I'm drawing as they're walking. I'm drawing sometimes with them as well. So they pause, I get some figures, they pause. And, and you're capturing not... exactly what's going on but it's a distillation of what's going on and it's it's and it's it's important to know that the the distinction and that the distillation can bring some enhancement or information to the game as well right Uh, that that it it can really flesh out a moment in a way that that's for for a guy again is back to being the filmmaker wannabe i i sort of like to do that (laughs) (laughs) so uh i know a lot of artists who draw purely architecture and then i know a lot of urban sketchers who are just very focused on vast cityscapes so not even just a single building and and i also know some urban sketchers like uh like myself who primarily focus on the people but I look at your work and I see you're kind of jumping all over the place like I see some pages which look like it's just about the building and you found this beauty in like the details of the building the architectural details and then there are pages which are just about the person itself so do you see something inherently different when you're trying to capture a building versus when you're trying to capture a person well you know the physics of light being what they are they're going to be the same no matter what you're looking at geometry plays a role in figures as just as much as it does in, in buildings and and then there's a whole way in which you manipulate contours there's contour prioritization to enhance something near or far there's how you work with contrast there's uh with there's a idea of do things sit squarely on a plane you know as though are those feet on the same plane there's there's, there's a lot of things that you you 
have to contemplate if you want the drawings maybe to be solid, right? For things to have a, a recession into space that makes sense, or so some of that's some of that's the same. It's a it's a it's a rich experience. Any day you go out, it's a rich experience, and and there's different things that to to focus on. As far as posting online, I've noticed that on Facebook and on Instagram, you are rewarded if you have a narrow body of work. They reward consistency. They're, you're focusing on you're focusing on keeping a journal in coffee houses and you talk about how good the coffee is and, and you contrast all the coffee cups and, and you're using this pen. And you would think that you would wear your audience out. You would lose, the, the audience would diminish. I have found that when I jump around and do live nude drawings or I go out and I draw, you know, because drawing nude drawings informs how I understand other characters. Drawing people in spaces and having the ability to draw some buildings means gives me more ability. But if I do in these things and I jump around, I have found that sometimes you are not rewarded by the um, algorithms of the social media that they that they like that you. I don't want to say pigeonholed, but that they they like that you have that you're covering a genre that you're thematically focused and. That's just not the way I am. I like being versatile. Like for a long time, I didn't. I didn't want to draw straight lines. <laughs> I didn't want to draw. I didn't want to draw buildings. And then you know, cars. Cars have all those obliques and all those kind of things. And this perspective, like, that's not what I was caught up in. I was caught up in human interaction and dynamic confrontations and stuff like that. And so I whittled everything out away from that. And then I've been bringing them back in. And uh, I've been a student of architecture. I love that that you look at the, a, a city and you have an archaeological experience of aesthetics. And then there is just the dynamics of a society. Does it function gracefully together or is a society in conflict? Is it possible to hold societies together that are so disparate in need and temperament and philosophies? And to me, that's a seriously compelling story. So I, 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 I have to say that for me, I want my blogs and I want my social media to be rich. And the sketchbooks, I want the sketchbooks to be rich, rich in a variety of themes and rich in a variety of techniques. Touching upon variety of themes, I'm very curious to know what possessed you to draw cadavers because I don't I can't think of anyone else who might be enthused about the idea and I can't think of anyone else who would give it the kind of time you gave it so you went to Northwestern Hospital if I'm not wrong Rush 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 Hospital in downtown Chicago and you were drawing cadavers in their cadaver room and these are cadavers that medical students otherwise study and work with yeah can you tell me? Can you tell me what you got from this, and how? How? Why did you end up doing these things? Well, I uh, I go to life drawing. Still, I still go to life drawing sessions and draw from new models. You know, it continues to enhance my understanding of figures because, uh, you know, I 
do images out of my head, that I draw figures in that I have clothes on, but to know what the structure is, substructure. So substructure is very important when you look at buildings, when you look at, at uh, people, you know, anything. You just, just have a sense of the substructure. And I was a science major for three years. Um, so it was biochem. And, you know, I didn't cut, I didn't work on human cadavers, but cut a few things open. And I'm totally thrilled by doing that stuff. I'm investi investigating, you know, I couldn't wait, couldn't wait to get into working on the cats and dogs and humans and stuff like that. And I'm absolutely fascinated. I mean, I'm, I'm you know, fascinated with the human body. And, and da, da Vinci and Michelangelo both worked on cadavers. And that investigation to me is, is imbued in the craft of art. Because art is an intellectual pursuit of knowing thyself and knowing the world, you know, and 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 getting in there and seeing these and understanding how it really works. And the human body is such a an, just bodies in particular. But they're just the mechanics, and they're just this this thing, this machinery that's been animated. The whole thing, the psychology of humans, the, the mechanisms of human, all of it fascinates me, and it, and and muscles. So I had the opportunity to do that, and uh, after years and years and years of being away from the sciences, where I thought I was going to do that, I actually had the chance to go back and do that, and it, it is external. It's a it was a great opportunity. Of course, the coronavirus shut that down. Uh, once we get past this period of time, it'll go back up again, and I'll get back in there. Um, and also to watch people, again, one of the things that I do in my sketchbooks is I like watching people engaged in an activity. I don't just want to draw a person that looks like a person. It's like, what are they doing? So I love drawing people at work. And when I was going and drawing those anatomy, the, the bodies, I was also drawing students working on the bodies. So that was where the experience I had drawing in urban sketching and drawing in courtrooms of, of drawing people in, that weren't holding still and engaged in activity, but also the activity of investigation, and, you know, inquiry. I mean, that, that to, to, the, the whole situation, plus you could answer a lot of questions and then you could just go through a body week by week. They would dissecting the body further and further. So you would work your way down through from the skin down to the, muscles and sinews and things and and there was nothing about it that wasn't absolutely compelling and uh, awe-inspiring you know and and um i liked that everything about it i liked that the person there on the table and their family had decided it was important to give themselves to science to gifts for, for knowledge and to help the next generation to know how to do this you know, so I was also documenting an activity. I was documenting a resource. In a way, you were documenting the contribution of a life even after it has passed away. Absolutely. You know, and, and I think that that's where art belongs. I think that artists belong following these processes. Uh, there was an artist who several artists have gone to war. And they say war is one of the most important things that societies engage or confront. 
an artist should be. There's a role for arts in all of life and documenting and, and covering and thinking about and bringing that perspective to it. So, yeah, there's, um, I've wanted to sign off so that I could sit in the back of a police car on their evenings, draw them. Uh, I have gone and documented homeless encampments, which is a form of a refugee camp. I just think that's what we, where we belong. You know, it's, it's, we belong doing a lot of things, designing fashion and designing cars and designing interiors and designing product. And, you know, th there's a wide world for arts to investigate. And I go around and I talk to young people and do demonstrations to seniors and artists and students and whatnot. And, and I don't want them to think about art in this very little narrow practice. The way that we talked about, well, when you draw an urban environment, are you just drawing the buildings? Are you drawing the activity or the the failings of an urban environment, the shortcomings? Like, for example, infrastructure that's coming down. I ask people if they could tell a non-artist to pick up urban sketching or simply drawing from observation, you know, what would that one reason be that you could give to a non-artist? But I feel like I feel like all of the questions that I've asked you have sort of been about that. You have. I feel like you've, you've led us to that. It really is, what, what, what do they get out of it, right? I get, maybe I look to get a lot more out of it, but I do think that it contributes to a person's understanding and, and focus. And for some people, it's relaxing. For some people, it's, it's exciting and enhancing, but it is the prolonged look. That's what it is. Like a, photography was the frozen look, which allowed you to capture a moment and really to see something. Um, but when you draw, there's like that phrase that he or she who writes reads twice. I just think that when you draw, there's this, we're in a rush. We're in a rush about doing things. We're in a rush to have this, take a million pictures of a sunset, do all this kind of stuff, multitask. One of the most compelling things about drawing for me is that it slows you down. There's a deliberativeness to it. There's a contemplativeness of it. There's a being in the moment. And, and there's the continued engagement with this thing. You're not tapping a keyboard. You're using, you're using this hands in which the tool becomes another bone in the hand. And, and, and I think that just as our eyes are so important and our ears are so important, our nose, our taste, of knowing the world around us, this is still one of the most sophisticated things they have not been able to totally duplicate. And this is such a big reason why human beings are so intelligent. This thing grabs a lot of information. It, it, it describes so much, it articulates so much. It, it, it brings your focus to something. There's this dance between the eye and the hand that's so nice. And if they can just get away from the idea that they have to be good at this craft and it has to be perfect or they have to draw like this person, or that person, because even though we train to do that sort of thing, the beautiful thing is when you're done and you see the drawing, there's personality on the page. Yeah. So I, I, I would just, I kind of encourage people to go for it for, for that sort of engagement with the world around you. you know? mm -hmm. All right. So, Don, this has been a really fantastic conversation.
I've enjoyed and it. Yeah. Although, although I've spoken to you about so many things on so many times before, I feel like again I've learned a whole bunch of new things about you and your art. Well, I like what I like where you're able to take the podcast. I think it's is a great idea. I'm excited about about uh, what you're doing with this. So I appreciate to be part of it. Thank you for joining me in this episode of the Sneaky Art Podcast. I hope that it was worth your time and that you will take away something positive from this experience. I learned a lot of things speaking with Don, and what seems worth emphasizing to me is the importance of curiosity in the long game. In the show notes, I share links to Don's work and also links to the different artists and the interesting other things that we discussed. You can find the show notes at sneakyartist.com/podcast. If you have any questions that Don or I could answer, do reach out to me. My website offers different ways to contact me and also the choice to subscribe to my weekly newsletter. In the Sneaky Art post, I talk about my work, my regular drawings, and share thoughts from my journey of self-education as an artist. In addition, I discuss my favorite parts from the latest podcast episodes and invite your opinion on them. Goodbye and thank you for listening.